Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the saga of Steve Rogers. My name's Tom, and I'm glad to have you here, feeling a little better than I have the last couple intros that I've done. Um, if you are new to the show, first off, this is part fuck, five, I think, with Richard Rader. So if you didn't hear parts one through four, go back. You don't want to jump in here. This is the the tail end of the story, as it were. Um, so go back to the beginning. This is episode 262. Um, I appreciate you being here. If it's your first time, if you've been here a bunch, happy to have you either way. Um, please, it's a fan-supported website. I know the coronavirus has changed the whole world. So uh, patreon.com slash saga of Steve Rogers is the way to uh, give back to the show. Lost almost every single patron that I had. And I understand shit. It's uh it's a difficult world, so just putting it out there. If you're enjoying the show, you love the show, patreon.com slash saga of Steve Rogers. Um, if you don't want to support the show that way, share the link, tell a friend. Um, if you're appreciating the show, you like the show at all, just tell somebody, hip somebody to the show, get me a new listener, it's all I ask. Well, it's not all I ask, I ask a lot. Also, if you could leave a review, wherever you're listening, if you're listening on the website, if you're listening on um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever fine, fine podcasts are, there's a way to leave a review. So leave a review and tell me what you like, tell me what you don't like. Last thing, uh, email address is steve at sogofsteverogers.com. So if you're enjoying the show, you have a comment, you have a question, you have a concern, you have an idea that somebody you think you should be, that should be on the show, you think it's you that should be on the show, and you'd like to sit across from me or social distance motherfucker you want to call um just send me an email steve at saga of steve rogers.com and then uh, explain to me why love to have you on uh this is part five with richard um we are way down the rabbit hole so like i said if you didn't hear the beginning go back to the beginning this is an amazing story um and i hope you're enjoying it either way this is uh part five with richard Rader, and uh hope all's going well thanks bye coronavirus thank you for listening to this podcast my stepdad works really hard on this if you are easily offended don't waste your time if you like to tell a friend i can't believe i have to tell adults this basic stuff Richard. Hello. Hey, what's going on? Are you still So did you have the coronavirus or No, I don't. I got tested, oh. uh, came back negative, but uh that that's good news. I don't have it currently. I really think that I I had it. I think my wife and I both had it early on. Um we were both super sick earlier in the year. Um, and they say that it's been kind of making its way around the U.S. for longer than people think. So um, we were both, I mean, had all the symptoms. Like when I went and got tested just recently, I didn't have all the symptoms of it now. Um, I had a fever, but it would come and go and, you know, other cough and shortness of breath and, and you know, difficulty breathing and, you know, exhaustion right. and stuff like that but no i'm i'm good oh that's good how are things there i almost died how did you almost <laughs> die i went to the emergency room for two and a half days what happened uh, a blockage blockage in my intestine and i had major pain and i guess the pain was fucking with my heart and uh giving me High high heart rate and all that stuff, so they were worried about it, and so they put me on a bunch of pain meds and uh, uh, IV drip for two and a half days, and they were going to operate, but they decided not to. They tried to see if it would just come out on its own, and it finally did, and then they released me back to prison. <laughs> so you had a blockage, like a bowel obstruction? Yep, there. That's what they called it, a bowel obstruction. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> tough week, man. Yeah, tough week. <laughs> tough week all the way around. Oh, shoot. So what else has been going on? How is the uh, coronavirus affecting people I- inside? Oh, um, it hasn't really, I guess nobody has it here yet, supposedly, but I don't believe that for one minute. <laughs> well, you said With that all, they canceled all jobs, here. right? They can, Nobody's doing work? Well, they opened it, everything back up. Huh. I mean, I guess I, when you said they canceled all work, I was like, okay, I don't know how long that's going to go because the inmates in a prison, and again, this is just from what I see on TV. I don't know shit about shit, but the inmates in the prison do the cooking and the, the washing of the clothes and the all the shit that keeps the prison from falling into well those jobs were still going the whole time the the jobs that canceled was the jobs we for the uh company they have a company called pheasant industries here and they hire inmates with inside the prison system to make uh things like what do things like braille uh they do we they do braille make um braille plates and braille books and stuff like that and uh cabinets um, different wood things, um, uh, uh, and what's another one? The wheelchairs. Um, it's all kinds of different things. There's a bunch of different jobs. So it's an outside signs, company. Signs. They make signs. Okay. They make, yeah, they make, they charge, they pay 25 cents an hour and who knows what they charge? I mean, what they, who knows? They make all this stuff and they sell it. So it's money out of their pocket when we don't work. So the company contracts the prison, the prison opens it up to people like, Hey, who wants to make wheelchairs or who wants to do this? And then people just sign up for it. And then. Right. We got, we sign up for it. We go work They're on the prison grounds. So we just go, and there's a building off to the side where everybody goes to work every day. So they go over there and then so work and then of, come back, and then they get paid. The inmates get paid $0.25 cents an hour? Yeah. You could look it up. It's Pheasant uh, Industries is the name of the company. Your The phone cut out a little bit. It's called what? Oh, Pheasant Industries. Pheasant like the bird? Oh, Pheasant, Pheasant, Pheasant Land Industries. Pheasant land industry. Yeah, like the bird. Okay. No. And so then that money goes where? It goes into like your account so you can buy shit? Right, right. Yep. But it's not that much. I mean, because they haven't, they haven't, the, 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 the price of commissary has been going up since the beginning. You know what I mean? And they've never raise the hourly wage so you get $40 a month and I don't know I mean that doesn't really pay for much well so you know because you got what you what's buy a- your soap and your shampoo and your all your hygiene and if you got if you want shoes you got to buy shoes and just you know what I mean just I don't know <laughs> No, I had no idea. I thought in prison they provided for your essentials. Like I would think soap and, and shoes are essentials you have to have. But I, I have no frame of reference. So you have to buy your own shoes? Yeah. Well, I mean, they provide shoes, but the shoes they provide are like deck shoes. I would I would compare them to deck shoes. Okay. And they're really uncomfortable and they uh, – you're not going to be standing there working all day in deck shoes. It's going to, it's going to screw you up. I don't know. I just, just if you want comfortable shoes and even the ones you could buy, aren't really that comfortable, but they're a lot more comfortable than that. And then you could buy things on the black market, like insoles for your shoes, or you could buy, uh, like they give you used boxers, other people's boxers, other people's underwear and socks to wear. If you want your own, you could buy those on the black market. So you don't have to wear other people's stuff like that. 
So you can buy your own clothing. Yes. So how do you keep that as your clothing? Like if I, it, my clothes, I put it in my washing machine, then I fold it and put it in my closet. In your world, you don't have control over your laundry, I would assume. So how do you keep something that you buy as yours? You um, you got a laundry bag, so you put it in your laundry bag, and it goes out with laundry, and your laundry bag comes back. It has your room number on it. Or you could wash it in your own house. Like I... I uh, just recently, I was having uh, my sweats and stuff washed by somebody, but then somebody stole them from him, so I lost my sweats. So I had to buy me all new sweats. That was thirty bucks. So, now, so you just wash it in your sink and then let it dry in your in your room? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like I said, yeah. these are things I never but, would have thought of. Like, like stuff you're not worried about, stuff you're not worried about. You throw in a laundry bag and you send it to laundry, and it'll come back. And then sometimes you lose your laundry bag, and then you just got to get new stuff. But most of the time, it comes back, and it's it's fine. But like sweats and your personal stuff that costs money, you don't want to send to laundry because they'll get stolen. So you got your personal stuff. You want to wash in your sink in your house. See, again, this is stuff that I never would have thought of because I watch a movie and everybody's wearing orange jumpsuits and wearing the same shoes and everybody looks exactly the same. So I would have never thought in prison I have the ability to wear sweatpants or wear personal T-shirts or, or you know, stuff like that. I had no concept. That's well, we interesting. Don't, we don't get our personal – everybody has white T-shirts. All the sweats are gray sweats. Okay. Are white so you can't wear a color because then you could boxes. be you could be representing a gang and that could be a problem and so it's gray and white. Yeah, or use it use it for escape or whatever. I mean, you could use different things. Like if you have other clothing in your house, they could consider that escape paraphernalia. Escape paraphernalia. Okay. Man. All right. So, what else do they have in the commissary? Like, what else can you buy? You could buy, um, like Arizona, you could buy cigarettes and chewing tobacco and all that stuff over there. You could buy all kinds of things over there that you can't buy here. Here, you could buy potato chips, uh, packages of beef stew, packages of chili, crackers, um, peanuts. Um, like stuff like beef stew that has to be heated up. So what do you or do you just eat it cold? I have a hot pot. You have, have a, a hot pot that I could use. What's a hot pot? Like a little, like a little, like a little. It's like a little coffee pot that heats up that you can heat water up in and everything. And that's allowed. It plugs in. It plugs in. Okay. I got a fan. I got a flat screen TV. You have a TV in your cell. Um, I got my own TV. My cellie has his own TV, too. Okay. Uh, we both got our own fans. We both got our own hot pots. Um, we got a tablet. Like what I'm talking to you on now is a tablet. Um, and on the tablet, you got Law Light. You got the Law Library. You got Nexus Lexus. You got... Um, Different things like a calculator, you got books, you got music, but you got to buy all that stuff. You got to do a monthly subscription, do it all. Okay. So you don't have to just eat the food that's in the cafeteria or what they, I don't know if they call it. No. No, I, I hardly ever eat. I mean, I eat in the cafeteria, but I, I try to eat in the house as much as I, as much as I can. I mean, as as much as my 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 money allows me. Why? Uh, Just because it's better, or cafeteria? Yeah, well, the cafeteria food's awful. Yeah, like I make like I make Chinese food. I make I make different different things. You know, I you know you take ramen. You can mix anything with ramen, or they sell rice. You can make things with rice, and you can make burritos. You got tortillas, and you can beans and meat and all that stuff and you could you could on the black market you get things out of the kitchen to make different things with you know like you get ham out of the kitchen or turkey out of the kitchen and 
make turkey soup or turkey sandwiches, ham sandwiches, and use the ham for meat in your in your with the beef stew or use ham with different things. Like I use the ham for my Chinese food, mixed with apples and and uh, I make like a sweet, sour, and spicy sauce and all that stuff. So, t- talking about the black market on this phone isn't going to be a problem because you know that they they're no. obviously they're aware that it care. exists, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's yeah, that's they know everybody does it. I mean, cat and mouse game, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so how does that work? Like, I I, ha- I work in the cafeteria and I can get you ham. So, how do you pay me for ham? Okay, let's say someone works in the kitchen, um, and I want ham. I'll make the order, and they'll steal it out of the kitchen. They have numerous different ways of doing it. Uh, they steal it out of the kitchen, and then I pay them for it. Like for, hey, here it's kind of harder here, but like over in Jamison, I was paying which is the maximum security prison. You'd think it'd be harder there, but it's actually easier there. Like at Jameson, I'd pay $5 for a good-sized bowl of ham. Or even pinto beans. I used to get the pinto beans that I'd have to cook myself. I'd have to boil myself. Get a full bowl of pinto beans for $4. Um, same thing with the turkey. i get full bowl of turkey for 4 bucks, 5 bucks. Um... Here it's you, it's hard to get the bigger amounts, but you could get like a, a half a bowl for three bucks probably of hammer turkey. So if the hammer yeah, turkey the hammer turkey you're buying is something that's in the cafeteria, can't you just go in the cafeteria when they're having ham or turkey sandwiches and then just take the hammer turkey out yourself and not have to pay for it? I do that all the time. Oh, okay. But it's not that much. It's not that much. It's just like a slice of ham. Okay. And then I bring, you know, but if you're going to make like uh, pork and beans or if you're going to make whatever you're going to make and you want a lot of meat in it, uh, one slice, you bringing out one slice isn't going to do it. And are you allowed to bring food out of the cafeteria or is that not? No, no. So you have to sneak it out. So you got to like put it in your pocket or something. Right, you put it, bring a bag to the kitchen or something, and put it in your put it in your in your sock or something like that. Thanks. Okay. I'll wear I'll wear sweats. I'll wear sweats and tuck the sweats inside my inside my socks, and then put pants over the sweats. So then I just drop it down my pants, so I could do it without them noticing. I just drop it down and don't have to make no showing of it, like bend down or do anything with it. I just like nonchalantly drop it down my pants, and it falls down by my leg because my sweats are tucked in. Wow. Okay. Wow. All right. This is all interesting to me. Like I'm fascinated. I don't want to spend too much time talking, but it's interesting no, as shit fine. to me. I mean, that's fine. Anything you want to talk about? So, when last we left, you had just been arrested for the 40 years that you're in on now. Yeah. So is there yeah. anything that you left I, out that your mom told you, hey, you forgot to bring this? Because last time we talked, your mom reminded you of some stuff you left out. Is there anything you want to add before we go forward from you being arrested for well, the 40 before years? I got, before I got arrested, um, I was doing good. I was working. Like I said, I think I told you I was working two jobs and all that. Uh, my mom came up and visited. My mom and my stepdad, they came up and visited and stayed with me at my in my place um, for a week or so. Uh maybe two weeks. I don't remember how long it was a week or two. And I was doing good. Everything was good. And then my dad came up and stayed with me for a few days and I was doing good. And then my dad, when he left, he had, a. Uh, I went to work, came home from work and he was gone. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> so he drove and he, he got lost. He didn't know where he was at and he ended up in Phoenix and, and didn't know where he was at. I guess the officers, some officers found him and he didn't know where he, where he was at. So, uh, I really, really worried about him then. And I was going through that at the time that all this other stuff happened. And I ended up getting, I ended up getting high. Uh, I ended up at a, I ended up going to a girl's house 
a girlfriend. It's always girls with you, man. Had, always girls, man. Huh? Girls, girls are girls are well, what pull you down. This, yeah, there's this girl that came up from Arizona, and she, and I was clean. I hadn't. I had been out for six months. Hadn't gotten any trouble. Been working seventy hours, eighty hours a week, working two jobs, doing community service. Also on top of that. I was taking care of my daughter. My daughter came up from Arizona. She's 17. She, uh, her mom, she had problems with her mom and she, uh, ended up, uh, running from juvie and her probation and all that stuff. And she escaped out of, uh, some juvie home and, uh, came up to South Dakota and I was taking care of her. And I told my probation officer about it as soon as she got up here. I told my parole officer, I said, Hey, my daughter's up here. She's on the run. There's a warrant out for her. I got a lawyer and we're, we got a judge to, uh, we got a judge up here to, to allow her to stay because I was doing so good. And, you know, I talked to the judge and everything on the phone with my lawyer and, uh, they allowed my daughter to stay as long as she didn't get in any trouble. They said, just as long as she doesn't get any trouble, we're not going to push the warrant. She's going to, the warrant's going to remain on her. We're just not going to do anything about it, knowing that she's living with you and she's and you're doing so well and all this. And I, I got her, I got her a job and was, uh, trying to teach her to work and teach her the responsibility of work. Cause once I started working, uh, for the first time in my life, uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I was, I was, I was happy. I, I liked going to work. I couldn't wait to get up and go to work. Um, I loved, I loved, I loved work. I loved, I liked my boss. I liked everything about it. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. And for the first time in my life, I was like happy. I was like, I was good. And, uh, I was trying to teach my daughter that, you know, I was trying to teach my daughter to, uh, to like work. And I got her a job and, and, uh, she did good for a little bit and then she quit and, tried to get her another job and then we started having a little bit of problems. Uh, we were doing good, I guess, until, until I screwed up because I brought some girl up from Arizona and her and my daughter didn't get along. She's, uh, this is kind of hard to say. This is kind of weird. So it was my, my daughter's mother's sister's daughter. Jesus, hold on. She's 26. Mother's? <laughs> your daughter's mother's sister, which would be your daughter's aunt's. Her daughter. Daughter. So her cousin. Right. Okay. She was she was, she was 26, at, 26 at the time. And uh, me and her had been talking over the phone and this and that, and she was telling me how she had heard about me growing up and how, I mean, she always wanted to be with me and this and that and how, you know, she just blew my head up basically. And she was really pretty. And so I, and she wanted to get off drugs and she heard how good I was doing up here. And she said she could come up here and help me with my daughter. Cause she kind of, uh, helped raise my daughter cause she was older and her, her mom was a, a dope fiend and, and addicted to drugs and everything. And, uh, so I brought her up here thinking that it would be a good thing for my daughter, even though my daughter talked like she didn't like her. <laughs> well, my daughter really didn't like her anyways. So my daughter bribed me. She's like, you know, if I, if I, if I get her, uh, or maybe I bribe my daughter, it's probably more like I bribe my daughter. I said, Hey, just give it a chance. I'll get you a TV. And I'll get you a game, uh, what is it called? The Game Boy or whatever? Yeah. Or the, uh, the, where you, the machine that you play on the TV with the games? Yeah. Like an Xbox or a PlayStation or whatever. Yeah, there you go. Xbox. I got her Xbox and some games and everything and said, just give it a try. And she said, all right. So she got her TV and her Xbox and her, on her games and everything. And then she was like, ha ha, dad, you fool. I don't, I'm not going to give it a try. <laughs> so anyways, this girl comes up, we move in together. She moves in with us and it's off and on up and down. And most of the, most of the drama was between them two. Um, and what happened then? Uh, 
Well, hold on, my stay daughter, there. Stay there for a second. Hold on. What was your daughter in juvie for? What was she was in juvie for? Is it drug related? I also, that, no, my daughter doesn't doesn't have nothing to do with drugs. She can't stand drugs. Okay, I mean, understandably, it's kind of she's seen you know what it's done to the family, so that makes sense. Yes. She was in. She, I think, she was on probation partly because of something that happened with this girl that came up. Even though they lived together and raised together, and they're like sisters, um, they got in a fight over some boy. Uh, my daughter thought that she was trying to pick up on my daughter's boyfriend or some shit like that. My daughter stabbed her. Well, Jesus, you didn't. You thought that was going to go well after your daughter stabbed her. Okay. Well, I mean, they, since then they had since then they have been around each other and they've been cool with each other and stuff. It wasn't like it, ha- you know what I mean? It wasn't like it just happened or anything like that. Plus, it was a female, and you have female blindness. You have uh, rose-colored glasses. Yeah, I, 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 that, yep. And like yeah. I told my daughter, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was thinking with the wrong head, and 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 Big you time. know, I mean, even when she got up here, my my daughter didn't want to be up here, so she left. The day she left. Me and her, me and the other girl took off. Well, she was, my daughter was just supposed to go stay with a friend for a little bit, and then we were supposed to still work everything out. But my daughter ended up going back to Arizona, unbeknownst to me at that, at that time. I thought she was still in South Dakota. But anyways, we end up, me and that girl end up going to Aberdeen to another girl's house, which was my girlfriend also. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, the, the, the women have been in so many of the forks in the road for you. Like I can see where this, I can see what's coming. I'm seeing the future a little bit. Go ahead, I'm with you. And so we get up there, and this other girl was, um, she was selling dope. She was selling dope, and she wasn't a, a drug dealer or anything, but she was just selling dope to, to try to pay for a lawyer because she was in a custody battle with her baby's dad and she lived four hours away. So we were dating, but, but it was a long distance relationship. So when this other girl came into the picture and started living with me, me and this other girl broke up, but we were still friends. So we go up there to see her cause I was helping her with her legal stuff as a paralegal. So that way her lawyer didn't charge her as much. So we go up there, we'll go up there for a court date and I go with her to the court date and everything. We come back and I, she, she wants to meet this girl that took her place. So I was like, all right. I showed her pictures and stuff. she said, oh, she's hot. Why don't you bring her over and we'll have a threesome. So I'm like, sounds good to me. <laughs> I was, was going to say that was music to your ears. And music to my ears. So uh, I bring her over and we all kick back and, we party all night and uh, uh, and everything's fine. And the the one girl that came up from Arizona or that came up from to, from Arizona ended up stealing that girl's drugs and stealing and taking off. We had we were supposed to get a house the next day. We were supposed to go back to uh, Aberdeen and get a house, in, or uh, not Aberdeen, but Yankton and get a house the next day. And so she had all the cash that we were going to use to rent the house. And uh, so she takes that money, which was 1400 bucks, and she takes my car, and she takes that girl's dope, which was 22 grams of meth, and takes off. So me and that girl are arguing because she thinks I set her up. Me and my ex-girlfriend are arguing because she thinks I set her up with this girl. Did you at least get like, the no, three-way? Did you at least get the three-way out of this before she stole twenty-two grand the month? Oh. oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I just of want course. to make sure you got we something before shit went really bad. Right. I got. I was. We got there like nine o'clock, and this happened the next morning, like at seven o'clock, eight o'clock. Wow. Okay. And we had been up all night. So during that, that morning, we were supposed to drive back to uh, Yankton, which is four hours away. And I had been up all night, and I'm like, fuck, I can't drive. And I hadn't done no drugs to this point. 
And she's like, well, I can give you guys a line that'll help you get back there and blah, blah, blah. And I was at first I said no. And she made them out anyway because the girl, my girlfriend wanted a line. So she made her a line and made me a line. And I didn't do mine. The girl did hers. And I was like, and they kept telling me, just do it, just do it, just do it. And I'm like, no, I'm good. And then finally I was like, fuck it. Here, uh, put it in a piece of paper for me and I'll take it like a pill. So they put it in a piece of toilet paper and gave it to me and I drank it like a pill. I don't like snorting it. So I did that. And I guess the one girl that I brought up from Arizona, she had seen where she had put the drugs. So while I'm in the other room talking to the other girl, she goes in and steals her drugs, takes my car keys and takes all the money and takes off in my car. So I keep calling her, trying to get her to come back for like an hour and a half, two hours, and she won't come back. Eventually, I threatened to call, report my car stolen and stuff, and then she's like, so, so eventually we get her on the phone, and we talk her into coming back. So she comes back, and when she comes back with my car and the money, I tell her to give me the car keys and stuff. So she gives me the car keys, but I tell her to give her the uh, dope back. And she won't give the chick her dope back. She says she threw it out the window when I threatened to call the cops. So twenty-two grand, twenty-two grand worth of dope. No, twenty-two grams. Oh, grams. So how much would that be financially? How much money is that? Um, up here it is just guess ballpark. Six hundred, six hundred bucks. Oh, okay. I I was thinking a lot more money. Okay. Got it. No, like like six hundred bucks. So it. then uh I was like I was like, you need to give her the shit back, blah blah. She's like, I don't have it and then she she runs and hides. I try to find her, I don't find her, and then I start looking in the house for her and she's hiding in the closet and she tries to run again and then I I grabbed her by the hair and to stop her and she falls. She gets up and comes at me with a wine bottle, hits me with a wine bottle. I push her on the ground. And then I back up. She jumps up on the bed and starts screaming and yelling. And I stand in the doorway with my arms across my chest saying, just give her a shit back so we can get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? I want to leave. I'm telling her, I want to leave. I already got, I already packed up the car, put my clothes and everything in the car. I got the car ready to go. I got my keys. You know, I'm ready to go. And I just want her to get her drugs back and just, just head back home. And she's, being a bitch <laughs> and yelling and screaming. Next thing I know, the cops show up and cops call us all out of the house and they want to search the house. Them two are drunk. They give us PBTs. I haven't been drinking, so I'm clean. They, they're both drunk. The one girl, my ex-girlfriend, they give you a what you, wait, wait, you, you said, you said they give them what? A PBT, a breathalyzer. Oh, okay. But they weren't in a car, and, so if uh, they came back drunk, what would happen? They're in, they're in a house, like. Yeah. Well, the one was on parole. It oh. was her house, and she's on parole. Got it. When you're on parole, you're not allowed to drink. Right. So they they go to they say they're going to cuff her up and take her in for being drunk. So she goes, "Well, let me go get my purse." Oh, so they walk her into the residence to get her purse, and on the table is a, a straw. Not a straw, but a pin tube. So they grabbed the pin tube. They grabbed the pin tube and said, "What's this?" And she says, "Oh, that's an e-cigarette." But they could obviously see it's not an e-cigarette. <laughs> and so they test the pin tube. It comes back hot for meth. And so then they get a search warrant to search. And then during this time, the girl from Arizona, she says, "Let me go in and get my purse." Well, the drugs, the twenty-two grams, are in her purse. When she go, when the cop walks her in there to get her purse, she dumps the 22 grams, which are in a balloon, out of her purse and into that girl's laundry basket in her bedroom, which is where her purse was when she went to go get her purse. She, like, picks up her purse and then dumps, dumps her purse out into the laundry basket, like, sneakily. Well, this is all caught on the camera from the cop's camera on his uniform. The cop doesn't see it. They come back outside. Everybody's outside. They're, they come in. They, they, they take the one girl uh, to, to jail. 
And me and the girl from Arizona are sitting outside and they're waiting for, we're waiting for the search warrant because we're not getting arrested because we haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. They search the residence. They find the, tw- yeah. yeah, they search the residence. They find the 22 grams. And so they arrest everybody for possession of the 22 grams. And they asked me if I had used, and I they had a warrant for my UA for my for my urine. So I was like, well, I can't get away with this. So yeah, I used, I did a line. And they asked me who gave you the line, and I refused to tell them. I said I ain't gonna tell on uh, my friends. I'll, I'll I'll take the rap for what I did. I did a line, and they're like, okay. So I had already admitted to that, and so I go to jail. We all go to jail, and. They offer me uh, while I'm in jail. My daughter gets back to Arizona, and then they come and give me a message that my daughter's been arrested for attempted murder and and assault and all this other stuff because she took an eight-inch butcher knife to her mom while I was in jail. Jesus. Okay. So her mom is going to die. Everybody's telling me that her mom's not going to make it. Her mom's in an emergency under, uh, she's in the induced coma and her mom's not going to make it. And so I'm dealing with that at the same time I'm going through my case and I'm trying to wonder how can I help my daughter? Cause I know the law and I, you know, think I could maybe help her or something, you know, but they won't let me talk to my daughter because she's in, they're trying her as an adult and I don't know. It's just, everything's just screwed up. And so I end up, uh, just going in and pleading guilty. And well, first off, my lawyer says, my lawyer tells me I can't get found guilty of the habitual. The maximum I could get is 10 years for the, for the dirty UA. And the max, and, and if they, if they get me for, they're trying to, they charge me with possession with intent to distribute the 22 grams. But I'm like, just I'm you or all three? Back. Because all three of you all were, three of us. All, all three were charged three with a, a possession with intent, intent to distribute. Right. Was it packaged up individually and or it was just like one bulk balloon filled with? It was packaged up in a balloon. Just one balloon, but with 22 in grams bag, in it. One balloon. Right. Okay. Right. So, um, my lawyer tells me I don't have to, you know, I'm, I'm not facing the habitual. I'm only facing one prior conviction, not that, not three prior convictions. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go in and plead guilty to the, uh, to the dirty UA and take the rest of the trial because I could beat the rest of the trial. So I go plead guilty to the dirty UA and they give me 40 years. And they drop everything else and send me out to prison. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> you gave me 40 years for a dirty UA. I, I thought when we originally, so this is how you ended up in for the 40 years that you're in now. That's what I'm in here for right now. Yeah. Okay. So, I thought that the when we originally talked about this, you said that there was different amounts of different types of drugs at the same time. That was for see that's what happened. the The, the conviction in 2010 was for them four convictions. I pled guilty to four crimes, and it was all for the four type four, four four different amounts of drugs that were on the table that were taken at the same time that I was sentenced as a single transaction. So my lawyer said that they can only use one of those felonies because it was all one transaction. So then when I went to this court, so this later court now turns around and says, no, we're going to find it. We're going to, we're going to go back and we're going to say that those are separate transactions. Now, even though the, the first court said it was a single transaction and DOC says it's a single transaction, What's we DO- don't care about that. We're going to say DOC. Huh? DOC. What's that? Which is Department of Department of Corrections. Prison. Okay. Got it. So, so then the new court, in order to give me four, 40 years, in order to give me more than 10 years, they have to say that those are four separate transactions. 
when the other court has already said they're a single transaction, DLC has already said they're a single transaction. So this court later, they have to say it's separate transactions if they want to give me more than 10 years. So they went ahead and said, you know what, we don't care what, what really happened. We're going to give you, we're going to say they're separate transactions and find you guilty of the habitual. So that's my argument. That's what I'm mad about. I'm mad that they completely ignored the law. They completely ignored the facts and uh, brought in. They're trying to say that I distributed my past crime in 2010. They're trying to say I didn't give that the crime didn't happen the way I said it happened, the way I pled guilty to it happening. They're saying I went to sell, I sold it to her at two different times and to two different people and all this other crap that never happened. They just made shit up at this other, at the second, at the second case on the 2016 case, they're saying a bunch of stuff that I never pled guilty to. And they're not allowed to do that. And they just ignore, I mean, when you plead guilty to something, the, the prosecutor goes up and they give the factual basis. They say, this is what you did. And you either say, yes, you did it or no, you didn't. Well, they laid out the crimes and how I committed the crimes. And I said, yes, I did it like that. That I, I committed the crimes. Now, when they go to, when they, the later courts go back and look to see what you did, they're only allowed to look at what you pled guilty to. They can't go back and look at things that you never had a trial on things that you never agreed to or admitted to and say you committed those things because that's a violation of your right to a jury trial. So you just skip the jury trial on my, my, uh, on my case. They just skipped the jury trial together and said, you know what? We're just going to say you did whatever we want to say you did. For example, let me give you an example Let's, that you might be able to understand. Let's say that, uh, Someone's arrested for burglary. And okay. 10 years later, he pleads guilty to burglary. And that's all he pleads guilty. He pleads guilty to going, to one, going into a house illegally and stealing some property. Okay. Stealing a, a stereo. Okay. 10 years later, another court comes, he gets in trouble again, and another court comes in and says, oh, we're going to give you a life sentence because for the habitual for a violent crime. And he says, well, that crime wasn't violent. I just went into the house and called, stole the car stereo. And then the later court says, well, no, you didn't. You went into the house with a gun and you had a gun and there was people in that house when you went into that house. And he says, no, there wasn't. And they say, yes, there was. And he says, well, I didn't plead guilty to that. And they said, well, we don't care. That's what we're saying. And end up giving him a life sentence for something he didn't even do. They could go back, the, the, the later court could go back to that original conviction and look at the record that, that he admitted to, which was going into a residence and stealing some property from that person's house. They can't go into what cops believe, the cops' theory of the case, and say he, he had a gun and there was actually people in the house and all this other stuff because the reason they can't go back to that because that person never had a right in that first trial. He never had a right to jury trial on those issues, and he had never admitted to those issues than certain facts. So how can they do 10 years later, come back and just say that these are facts now when that person never admitted to it. All right, I get what Does you're saying. I get I get what you're saying. I'm totally with you. I have questions. So, okay. You're in tri- you're at trial. You admit to the possession with intent to distribute even though according to your story there was no possession by you ever and there was no intent to distribute by you ever. Am I correct? No, that's no. No. Well, you said that the drugs were. There's two different. There's two. There's two separate cases. The first case for the four crimes. No, I'm not talking about that one. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about the the one with the bag of 22 grams and and what were you charged with then? I was charged with 
with possession with intent. Correct. That's what I'm saying. And possession. And so, possession and a dirty UA. Cool. And so you pled guilty to using a line of meth. So you pled guilty to the of one the, line of meth. You pled guilty to the taking drugs essentially because you your pee right. came back. To using drugs. Right. Got it. And because right. of that so you were never charged at that time with the possession and the intent and to intent to distribute. It was just, yeah. I mean, you were, no, you never pled guilty it. to it, not charged. Sorry. You were never found never guilty. guilty to it. I was never pled guilty to it. I was never found guilty of it. I never pled to it. No, those charges were finally dismissed. Got it. So you just were charged with dirty piss. You, you took drugs when you weren't supposed to. Right. That's what I pled guilty to. That's I didn't take a plea re, plea agreement. I just went in there and said, look, I'm pleading guilty to my part of this, and we could take the rest of the trial. Instead of going to trial, the state dropped the charges. And then when it came time to sentence you for the dirty piss, they said, we're going back to the thing years. from 10 years ago. 2010. Right. right. Or six, six, six or seven years ago, whatever it was. And right. and changing the facts essentially, and saying right. that was something that it wasn't, and because of that, this is another offense added to that. So forty years, right? Okay, and you've appealed this since then. I appealed it, and the uh, the court said the the Supreme Court said that the court in two thousand ten made a separate transaction determination. They're saying that the court in 2010 said said that they were separate transactions, and that's just completely false. It's fake. It's a lie. So you're how many? I, how many? I, I've given you. Go ahead. I've given you the paperwork on all that. Right. So I, you, I mean. So so you had the appeal. How many appeals have you had on this 40 year sentence so far? So they sent me back for resentencing because the court screwed up and they were supposed to give me, they were supposed to consider me for a probation or a parole, just just a suspended sentence where I get back out on parole. So I go back for resentence, and when I go back for resentence, I ask for a, a pre-sentence report and all that so, so I could put on mitigation and so I could get a lesser sentence and stuff like that. And they said they're not going to give that to me. They're not going to. They're not going to let me do a pre-sentence report. They said that what they're going to do is they're going to go back to the 2010 case and use that pre-sentence report. So I tell them, well, look, I haven't seen that pre-sentence report since way back then, and I know there's a lot of inaccuracies in it. Therefore, I want to go over that with my lawyer. My lawyer tells the court, look, we haven't. This me and my client haven't discussed the pre-sentence report. At all, because he never he he's seen it, but he had never seen it with me. I never seen it. We never discussed it together. He wasn't the same attorney that was the, the attorney on the 2010 case. So my new attorney never had a chance to discuss the pre-sentence report with me. So we asked the court, "Hey, can we can we discuss the pre-sentence report? Can I have a chance to go over it with my lawyer to correct any inaccuracies in the in the pre-sentence report?" The court denied that. The court said, no, you don't get to talk about that with your lawyer. And then they sentenced me to 40 years again. So that's another issue that I'm arguing. I'm arguing that I should have been been allowed to talk to, the, uh, talk to my lawyer about the pre-sentence report because inside that pre-sentence report, and the state argued at my sentencing that I had uh, a prior burglary conviction and two prior aggravated assault convictions, which I didn't have. I don't have those convictions. Uh, I had a burglary conviction, but it was but it was uh, vacated. It was uh, thrown out, which we did, we talked about when I when I got that thrown out a long time ago. When I got had that 17 years, yeah. And I went back, and they threw out the burglary conviction. Well, and then in 2000, in 2000, when I got sentenced for the two aggravated assaults and the armed robbery, on appeal, they threw out the two aggravated assaults. Well, the 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 state or the prosecutor got up there and argued that I still had that burglary and I still had the two aggravated assaults, and I wasn't given a chance to correct that sentence, that record, and my lawyer wasn't given a chance because we never we never got a chance to to, to discuss the pre-sentence report 
or to argue against what the state was saying. So there's also a chance that in that pre-sentence report that what the state is saying, that they were broken out into four separate offenses or, or occurrences, and you're saying it was just one, that pre-sentence report may say what the state says it says, whether it's accurate or not. That may be in the documents, well, right? I know because it was it's just absolutely not true. It never happened. I no, I got I no got that what you're saying. It's, like, I, I got that you're saying it's not accurate, but it could be in that document, and then you would have to argue the legitimacy of that document. But I, how would the state just pull? Not trying to. I mean, well, I my, how can they just pull out of their document, ass? How could the state just pull out of their ass my, that this? Conviction from 2010 that was supposed to be four different transactions according to them and one transaction according to you. How can there be a disparity? Like, how do they see it one way and you see it another way? Because they. I don't know. (laughs) Because I have no idea. I'm a lot. So this is what I this is what happened. The state made made an argument. Uh, they had uh, during a different hearing in my case. They for prior, to bring in prior bad acts at my trial. The state uh, put on witnesses, and the witnesses testified to what their belief was, what their what their recollection what their recollect, recollection was from six years prior of how the whole case went down. And, and they're talking in third party, like what they remember from other officers or what the, how they remembered how it went down. And they testified to how they remember how everything went down and what their beliefs and theories were on the case. So then the court in the one hearing with the transcript you got that I sent to you, the the prosecutor asked to use that transcript. The judge says, oh, my my lawyer objected, and then the judge says uh, uh, that he agreed with my lawyer that it would be improper to use that transcript because that transcript had nothing to do with those proceedings. That had something to do with a complete different issue. So it would be unfair to use that transcript. Then the judge, out of the blue, said that I distributed two different people and at two different times, just because he missed, he, he must have misunderstood something down, something in the record somewhere. He, or he just must have misunderstood stuff. But because the judge, and then the court, the, or the, uh, the state, in the findings of fact, which is a document that, that, that after the hearing, they, they, the state filled out and had the judge sign. The state changes everything from what happened from the hearing, changes the judge's words. Well, the judge's words are what's uh, a better word, golden. The judge's words is what you're supposed to go by, not the the later written document. But in the later written document, the state says that they can or that the judge looked at that prior record. The judge said he didn't. And then the state changes the facts again and says it wasn't to do two different people. It was to the same person two different times. But again, there's no evidence in the record of that. The only evidence in the record is that me saying that I sold, uh, that I gave her drugs and then I gave her an extra rock. It doesn't say that it happened at two different times. That's just what they assume. So everything is based on uh, on interpretation, how they want to interpret it, how what they want to interpret what their evidence says. And that's why you have the right to a trial on that stuff. And, they, and when they're looking back at a prior record, they're only allowed to look at the factual basis that was given at your guilty plea. And, of course, the indictment that's given, because when you plead guilty to a crime, you're pleading guilty to the charge in the indictment. So obviously they're going to be able to look at the indictment also. And they're going to be able to look at the, the, the judgment of conviction because that's the, that's the document that holds you in prison. But they can't go back into police reports. They can't go back and get officers' theories of the crime 
and this and that, and 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 say that these are facts. Six years later, when you didn't have a right to a jury trial on on uh, on that, but you didn't. So it makes this whole conviction back here wrong. Okay. And it makes it it makes my plea unknowing. It makes me say, okay, I didn't plead guilty to the facts. Why are you saying now that I did? All right, we're gonna. It's um almost an hour. Have you gotten the notice that it's gonna drop soon? No. Not okay. Yet. We'll just keep going until then, and then when it drops, we'll you'll yeah. call me back. So I, I get what you're saying. I get that the documents you weren't able to see the the specific documents from the 2010 case, and those documents were used in the 2006. Was it 16? Or seventeen. Well, I was able to see all the documents. What I wasn't able to look at was the pre-sentence report. Isn't that, that's what I'm talking I about? My, I have all my records. Yeah, pre-sentence, all my records pre-sentence know, report is not part of the records you have, or it is part of the records you have. No, I've never. I don't have that. Okay, have, so that's what I'm saying. Have, they don't let the inmate have it. Yeah. Okay, so that's not a document that you should is, that you should, according to the law, be given. Right. My lawyer looked at the pre-sentence report. And he, when we were, when all this was happening, this lawyer looked at the pre-sentence report and he says, "Look, it doesn't say anything about separate transactions in the pre-sentence report." And that's why he looked at the pre-sentence report. But he never discussed the pre-sentence report with me. He never went over the pre-sentence report with me as far as the sentencing is supposed to be concerned. He didn't know the state was going to use that pre-sentence report against me at the new sentencing because it was a pre-sentence report from ten or eight years before. So he didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't even cross his mind that the state would try to use it. So he was just looking at it for other purposes. And he never brought it, brought it to me in the jail to discuss it with me or go over it with me to ask me if there's any inaccuracies or what's wrong with it because he didn't know they were going to use it for sentencing. So my point is, use that I, I get that, I get that. Until my, the day of sentencing. My point is something in that document, the pre-sentencing report that your lawyer has seen that you – are not normally given that I haven't seen that you haven't right. seen, but he, you just said he didn't bring it to you, but he could bring it to you at that time. He, he can't get it for you now. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm not allowed. Yeah, they can't, I can't, I've been trying to get it for since this case happened. Okay. I've been trying to get that pre-sentence report. Cause there's something in that document remember. that contradicts there's something in that document that they're reading that tells them there were four separate transactions then and not one, and that you think there's one transaction, not four. So that's the key, that document that you're not able to get because it's not a public record document, what makes, right? You're, you're, that's, that's, see, that's news to me. I mean, unless you know something I don't know. No, I don't. I'm asking you. I'm, I, shit, this isn't, this isn't no, me speaking nothing, the fact. Oh, okay. There's nothing in that document that contradicts what I say. But you don't know that because you haven't seen it. The state is saying that there's something that that, that original no, trial. The, not saying, the, the state is not saying that there's anything in that document. Then I'm misunderstanding completely. I thought you were saying the state said in that document it was listed as four separate transactions, not one. No, no, no. That document doesn't say anything about four separate transactions. But it has to be somewhere because you're the state is saying that no, it is. That's my, that's, that's my whole that's my whole point. It is nowhere. But according to the nowhere. state, according to the state, it is. Am I correct? The state is saying that in no, those you're 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 incorrect. Okay. The state's not saying that either. Okay. The state is just saying that that this this and this occurred. The state is saying that I, but they're they're not pointing to any document that says this. I'm pointing to documents that say it doesn't say it. They haven't pointed to any document at all ever that they say says this. But they're saying, not not saying a specific document says it, but they're saying in in that trial, the 2010 trial that it was four separate transactions in some way, shape, or form. Right or wrong, that's what the state is saying, yes? 
that's what the state is arguing. That's their argument. That's what I'm trying to get at. I, I, I wasn't trying to nail yeah. it down that's to a specific and the, document. And the South Dakota Supreme Court and the South Dakota Supreme Court has agreed with them. South Dakota Supreme Court says that the court in 2010 viewed these as separate transactions and sentenced me to separate transactions. But this is why that that is completely false. In South Dakota, there's a there's a there's a, uh, a statute that says when a court finds separate transactions, it shall put each transaction in a separate judgment of conviction and sentence you separately. All four of my crimes were put in one judgment and conviction, and I was sentenced together on all four of them. That alone shows that the court determined it was a single transaction. Secondly, my plea agreement says that if they find separate transactions, that they have to sentence me to a mandatory minimum of 10 years for each crime, and that none of that sentence can be suspended. The judge suspended two of them sentences in their entirety. So the judge sentenced me below the mandatory minimum if he had found separate transactions. So there's two errors right there. One, they put it all in one judgment and conviction. Two, they sentenced me to below the mandatory minimum. If they had judge had found separate transactions, he couldn't have done that. All right, I'm trying to do the math in my head. So the judge I, I, I'm I'm confused. And I and I don't know the, the law. To, okay. The judge, the judge you said the judge ten year sentences. Go ahead. Sorry. He sentenced me to four ten year sentences running consecutive and for forty years. I went to prison. I appealed that in two thousand eleven. Right. In two thousand fourteen I went back for re- You have one minute remaining. All right, there's the one minute. There's the one minute. All right, let's take a, a breather. I'm going to run inside. Um, call me back. Call okay. me back in like a couple minutes. All right. All right. All right bye. Thanks, Rich. Thank you for using GTL. You betcha. All right, everybody. That's uh, that's Richard's story to this point. Um we're going to finish up and I'm going to go through some of the questions that I got um, in the next hour. Thanks for listening to Susu Studio. Live long and prosper. Make better choices. Get better results. Uh, God, plea agreements and judges and pre-sentence agreements. And God, what a mess. All right. Thanks. Bye. That ain't so bad That's what they said to Johnny Cash And look at the life he had I'm just a drunk and a loser My mama says that I'm no good That I'll never have a decent job Or live in a nice neighborhood I don't care what people say About me behind my back Cause me and the man got it all figured out Me and the man in black I live in a trailer and I drink beer all day long But I'm an artist and a writer A poet, a singer of songs Make a joyful noise unto the Lord That's what the good book states But it's hard for me to be joyful When all I hear about are my mistakes Well I don't care what people say About me behind my back Cause me and the man got it all figured out Me and the man Yeah.
say I'll die a poor man, a recluse with nothing to eat. But I've got my cash, got my spirit, and that's all this hillbilly needs. But I don't care what people say about me behind my back. 'Cause me and the man got it all figured out. Me and the man in black, well I got cash. 